Let's look at Revelation chapter 1. Okay, I want you to get the book, three sections. Chapter 1, Christ. Remember, see, Christ, the glorified Christ. Chapter 1. Chapter 2 and 3, the church. Christ in the midst of his church, the church. Chapters 4 through the rest of the book, the consummation. How everything's going to end. So you get the whole outline of the book, three C's. Christ, church, consummation. That's the things which you have seen, the things which are, the things which shall come to be. The key verse is 119. It gives you an outline of what the book's about. Look at 119. Write, therefore, the things which you have seen, and that will be the glorified Christ that we will look at, those that are, and that will be the churches in chapter 2 and 3, and those that are to take place after this, after the church, then the consummation. Now, as we're going to look in this chapter, hear me well. Many people have a sympathetic Christ. Mel Gibson can make a graphic movie of the crucifixion and the horrendous pain inflicted on any criminal crucified by the Roman government. And a lot of people feel sorry for Christ. And he's re-crucified so many times in the Philippines, in Mexico. They reenacted, even in Spain. Many Catholic countries carry across through the streets. They enact everything. And even an unsaved person can be in sympathy to do any human being this way. But a pitiful Christ, a sympathetic Christ can't save you. That's why you must seem as resurrected. And in this book, he is no poor, pitiful, effeminate-looking Savior. This is not the gospel picture of Christ in humiliation, in suffering. This is the sovereign, glorified, all-powerful Christ that will deal with his enemies, will rule the nations, and it all is going to end this way. He will dominate, conquer the nations, and all the enemies of Christ need to flee. And according to Paul, Satan blinds us to the glory of God in the face of Christ. He doesn't just blind you to the crucifixion. Even a pagan historian knows Christ was crucified. If you're fair with history, you don't have to believe it. You don't have to understand it. But history, if you just wake up, read Jewish history, Roman history, it's a historical fact. The reason you don't believe in Christ is you've got a philosophical prejudice against the facts. The facts are there. He did die. He was buried. He did come up missing, and they have never found him. Now listen to what he writes. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants 
the things that must soon take place. And that's the idea will take place quickly when they start. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it, for the time is near. And that word near is it's the next thing to happen on God's prophetic calendar. Nothing else has to happen to keep Christ from coming back for his church. No, we don't have to wait for this to happen. It's near. It's at the door. The next event on God's calendar will be the appearing of his son for his church, and then seven years later to come to the earth and meet all the nations in the battle of Armageddon and begin a thousand-year reign. It's at the door. We're ready. Nothing to prevent it. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God, and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, 
and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things which you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. I want us to uh, get to see John was the pastor, the apostle at Ephesus. Domitian came to power. Domitian was the brother of Titus. Titus destroyed the city of Jerusalem. But Titus uh, had a death at a young age. And so his brother Domitian took over, which is vicious and cruel. He exiles the 90-year-old plus Apostle John to the Isle of Patmos. I've been on that island, and that island is 25 miles off the coast of Asia Minor. It's about 10 miles long, 6 miles wide. It, it is uh, where the Romans sent exiles. Uh, you weren't chained. You just were there to wander around on this island in the Aegean, and wind swept, hearing the roar of the waves constantly. I actually visited the cave where they believed that he wrote the book of Revelation. And he's there for his testimony of Christ, been exiled, and Christ on a Lord's Day, on a Sunday, begins to speak to him while he's in the Spirit and tells him to write these things. And let us first of all look at how he sees Christ. Here John, 60 to 65 years ago, knew Christ in his humanity, saw him heal the sick, was at the cross, saw his face so martyred it was beyond recognition, saw him laid in a tomb, saw him in those 50 days that he appeared to the brethren in a glorified body. So it's been maybe 60 years since he's seen Christ. This is the last sighting of Christ to John. Probably the last sighting in all of Scripture. He showed, up, he showed himself to Paul in Acts 9. But this is the last sighting. What does Christ look like in 95 A.D.? Let's see if the grave, if the years have taken their toll on him. Let us see what it looks like if you could see him right now. And here we go. We want to pick up. He's clothed in a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. That description was the description of the high priest in Exodus and it was also the way royalty dressed. And so what he sees is a Christ, I believe, as our high priest in heaven, but dressed in royalty. And he sees that picture of him in that clothing, not the garment that Mary made for him, but dressed as a royal high priest. And when he looked at his hair, <clears throat> it was white as wool, 
signifying maybe purity, maybe wisdom. Because in the Bible, age indicated experience and wisdom. In our culture, age isn't looked upon that way. It's like get them out of the way, but not in Bible times. In Bible times, you couldn't even speak at the synagogue till you were 30 years of age. It was not a youth culture. So I see him, and his hair is white as wool, just like Daniel 7, the ancient of days used of God the Father. Now I see it describing God the Son. He has the same attribute. The wisdom of the ages is represented in him. His eyes were on fire. The idea is he's going to be judging the world, and he's going to visit his church to judge it. You see, Christ is going to investigate the church in chapters 2 and 3, and he's going to judge the world in the rest of this book. It's a scary book to know what's coming, but it will happen anyway. ISIS won't win. Communism won't win. Atheism won't win. The Muslim world will not win. Christ is going to win in history. He's the rightful ruler and creator. This is coming. This is our future king and what he's going to do. And he has eyes that are omniscient. He saw whether you gave in the offering or not. You don't have any secrets. Everything you did in the dark this week, everything you did in privacy, everything you did, Everything that you ever done, everything you ever will do, he has seen it already. You see, secret sin down here is open scandal in heaven. There's no secrets. David said, how is it that when I got Bathsheba to come to my house and had sex with her, he said, why did I do this thing before God? You mean God was in that bedroom? Yes. You remember what Joseph said when Potiphar's wife was laying a trap for him to sleep with her? He said, how shall I do this thing against God? You don't like a moral God? Too bad. Invent your own. The God of the Bible sees penetratingly, omnisciently. You have no secret life with him. He knows our heart, even the internal motivations You know everything about you. So quit sneaking around in your fig leaves. Just say, you know me. I think much praying is fig leaf praying. I'm hiding from God what I really am like. And God says, I see you in the shower. You don't have any hidden life. I know you through and through. And he's going to say that to the church. These these remarks about him come over to all the seven churches. I know what's going on in Valley Bible Church. And I know what's going on in the lives of its people. There are no secrets in heaven about what this church and about what you're doing. It's public knowledge up there. You can't hide. His feet were like burnished bronze. A little difficult word to get an exact idea. They believe it's probably a combination of metals, highly refined. And it's the idea of feet 
uh, in a heavy metal. He's walking to dominate. He's going to put things under his feet, and he, he's going to crush. He, it's going to, he's not coming to die for you this time. He's not coming this time to say, please believe in me. He's not going to say, please believe the cross. He's coming in power with a mighty foot, and he's going to put it on the neck of those who oppose him still. This is no little meek Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. This is a Jesus in glory, the glorified Christ that men refuse to acknowledge. This is the one they had better be afraid of. And I'm afraid the one the church has lost sight of. We'll talk about his cruel death. What about his glorious person right now? Many people in our churches, they want to go to heaven. They just haven't fallen in love with Christ because they've never seen him for who he is, a glorious Christ. He says that he has the voice like the roar of many waters. Now, uh, that, that, that is an awesome description. Here he's hearing the Aegean. He's hearing the ocean all the time. I went to a conference one time, and we stayed uh, in Monterey, but where they kept us was right next to the ocean all night. Carolyn could not sleep. She thought the ocean was coming through any moment because it's just all night. Roar. She had me close the window. I like the window open. Let's get some sea air. No, no, the waves are coming. The tsunami's going to hit. It's coming through. No, no, no. That, that place is still there. I just checked it out. But he said his voice is not a whisper. You know, with age, the register of your voice keeps dropping. It's what us preachers hate. I'm getting lower all the time. I love to yell at you. But I'm getting softer. It's just my voice is dropping. And if I hear some of the tapes 25 years ago, man, I sound like a lion compared to today. I'm going to tell you 60 years after John's last sighting of Jesus, he said he could speak loud enough I could hear him. This is not a whispering old man in a senior's home. This is an almighty God on a throne. You can hear this voice as though you were at Niagara Falls or all the oceans of the earth made one roar. That's his voice, the voice of creation that said, let there be light. Let there be matter. Let there be creation. John said, that's the voice I heard. His voice is like many, many waters. And out of his mouth came a, a large sword, a two-edged sword. And he said, what's that for? I'm going to judge my enemies with my word. I'll just speak the word, and they'll be liquidated. Zechariah says when he comes back that the eyes of the men that look on him melt. I will simply speak the word, and I'll liquidate my enemies like that. That's the word. The same word he's speaking to us. His word is sharp, powerful, out of his mouth, as it were. There, his mouth, his word, whatever he says, is as powerful as any weapon in all of creation. He goes on to say, 
His face was shining like the sun in full strength. On the Mount of Transfiguration, they saw that look of Christ when his face just began to glow. And uh, when you read 2 Corinthians 4, he says, The God of this age has blinded us to the gospel and blinded us to the glory of God revealed in the face of Jesus. He's blinded men. They can't see it. Isaiah said on the cross, he was marred so much you couldn't recognize him. He was like a beat-up boxer with a swollen face and blood caked all over him. And you've got the spikes from the head. He's a bleeding mess. But John said, I'm seeing him 60 years later, and it's not outside the city limits of Jerusalem. I see a Christ. I see no scars on that face. I see no swollenness. His face shone brighter than a noonday sun. Powerful, powerful. Not the gory mess of Calvary. Not the gory mess. The glorified face. He describes him. When you come to Revelation, probably more Old Testament verses come over in this final book of the Bible. And I just want to quickly just see all the things he said to be. We'll look at what he looks like. Now, look at all the things just in this one chapter, and he'll bring it over in the rest of the book. It'll be repeated. Look at all the things he says about who he is. Let's pick it up. Uh, in verse 5, he said to be the faithful, reliable witness. He testifies about everything God's going to do and going to say. Two, he's the firstborn from the dead. Now, that's interesting. Have any other men ever uh, died and been resurrected? Lazarus. What about Elijah? Was caught up. The term firstborn, understand this. The cults love this. They make it that he was the first chronologically. It's used that way. But do you remember the Bible called Isaac the firstborn son of Abraham? Now, now I'm going to check your, your mind. Who was the firstborn son of Abraham? Ishmael. Well, what's Isaac getting called firstborn for? Rights, the place of honor. It was a place of preeminence. It's a title of honor. Colossians 1 calls him the firstborn of all creation. You know why? He's the creator. He has the preeminent title. I'm the firstborn. I'm entitled to all the Father has. I'm not the first in time. Christ never had a beginning. He's always been. He's eternal God. Don't let the cults make you beginning. That's an Arian heresy from the third century. He never had a beginning. I'm the firstborn. I'm preeminent from all those who have risen from the dead. And he's the only one that really came back from the dead and never did die again. He's permanently raised. Lazarus eventually died. And he's kind of mad, probably, that Jesus brought him back the first time. If we believed heaven is as good as we say it is, it wouldn't be so hard to get us to thinking about going there. 
You're living in the land of the dying. You're going to the land of the living. Are you? See, we've lost two doctrines. We don't believe in hell, and we don't hardly believe in heaven. So we're afraid to preach about hell, and we don't talk a whole lot about heaven. We just hope our 401K is fully funded. That's your heaven. Y'all had grown up with poor folks like my folks. There were no 401Ks, so we sing about heaven all the time. Do you sing about heaven? No, you don't. No, you don't. Well, keep showing that uh, he said to be the ruler of the kings of the earth. Uh, they kicked him out on the first coming, and Pilate said, are you a king? He said, I am. And that was a joke for Pilate. But Christ restrained angels from delivering him. If this kingdom was of this world was mine, I'd take it now, but I came the first time to redeem, not to rule. Next time I come, I come to rule. I'm going to rule over all the kings. I love verse 5 where he says, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. He is the one loving his own, and in the past he redeemed us. He loosed us from our sins. Six, he made us priests to God. Are you aware that if you're a believer in Christ, you don't need any middlemen to get you to God? There's one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. I don't need a preacher. I don't need a priest. I don't need the Levitical order. I don't need the Catholic order. I don't need Protestant guys that are middle. We are not middlemen to get you to God. And if I'm a believer in Christ, I've got all the access I could ever want. You see, in the Old Testament, you couldn't pop into the presence of God. They, they, they had the court for the women. Uh, by the time of Jesus, they had the court for the Gentiles. They had the court for the common folks. Uh, they had the court for the priests. And, and finally, one man a year could get in there and come out if he was pure enough. He had to wash. He had to kill an animal. He had to go through this, 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 all just to get into God's presence. And now Jesus said, all of my people have immediate access to God. You're a priest. You're a priest. And Peter said that, the so-called first pope. First Peter 2, we are a kingdom of priests who approach God for ourselves through Christ. If this was a shouting church, you'd shout about that, but you're not a shouting church. By the way, thank you for all of you that came out to the prayer meeting. My unbelief was rebuked. Deborah and I said, if 20 come out, it would be worth it. And you overwhelmed us and were a gentle rebuke from God. Oh, ye of little faith. He said, I'm coming again in verse 7. He's the Alpha and Omega in verse 8. He said, I'm the first and last. He's living, although he died in verse 18. He holds the key to death and Hades. What in the world is that? Hades is the New Testament word that 
is the word used to translate the Old Testament word Sheol. And Sheol and Hades spoke of the underworld, the unseen world of the dead. And in the Old Testament, that underworld, both the righteous and the unrighteous went to Sheol. So when you died, you went to this hidden world of the dead, and your spirits were kept there. Now, Jesus shows us in Luke 16 that there was a distinction in that underworld in that there was a paradise section, and then there was the place of darkness and separation. But during that time, they could at least talk back and forth over a gulf. And some of us believe that Christ in his resurrection brought paradise out of the heart of the earth and took it up to heaven. You remember Paul said, I was caught up to paradise? 2 Corinthians 12. It, well, how did it get up? According to Ephesians 4, he led captivity captive. Those that were captive in the earth, even the righteous, he brought up with him, and they were the display case. Look, I conquered death and the grave, Hades, and I'm bringing these to show you I'm in charge of everybody who lives or dies. Let me say this to you, whether you know it or not. If you're here without Christ, Christ is in charge of whether you live or die. You see, there's two things. Death is the state. Hades was the place. And Jesus Christ alone has the key who determines who lives and who's going to die, whether they're saved or unsaved. He's picked the date he's going to take you. Whether you're a saint or whether you're an ain't, he's got the date picked. The issue is, are you prepared to meet God? You remember the prophet said, prepare to meet your God. That's what used to terrify me when I was unsaved. I knew this to be true, but I still gambled with my soul and would not come to Christ. I had a few more sins I wanted to do. A few more sins. You know, 14 is too young to get saved. You still could do a whole lot of sinning. Say, God, let me wear out from my sin, then maybe I'll give you what's left over. And God said, I may take you out tonight. You have no guarantee. I, God the Son, is in charge of your death. He determined to permit five policemen to be taken out in Dallas. He determined to let those black men that were killed, they would go out that way. I know that's a mystery to you. He's in charge of everything that dies. Nothing dies without his permission. And nobody lives without his permission. You're alive by the grace of God whether you hate Christ or not. You're living on grace time to be alive. Every day you reject Christ, you, when you come before God, 
can never say you weren't gracious. He's going to say, what about those 60 years I let you live hating me every day of your life? How about all that time I gave you? And if I gave you another 100 years, you wouldn't come because you're stubborn and you don't want him. I gave you my best, but he wasn't good enough. That's what men are going to face. And this Christ is going to face them, and he's going to say, come on up. I died for this world once. This time I'm not coming to die. I'm coming to rule and to take what's rightfully my own. And you're going to see power like you've never seen in your life. Atomic bombs can't compare to a sovereign God. He's going to show his power. Most of you are flippy about it because you don't ever study his power. We've been told the cross, the cross. And I do preach the cross, but there is a glorified Christ too. And it ends with that picture, coming in glory and power. He holds the keys. He's called the Son of Man, which was his favorite name. Taken from Daniel 7 during the Gospels, showing his humanity, but now it's a glorified humanity. You know why you ought to be excited about this picture of Christ? According to 1 John 3, 3 and Philippians 3, God is going to fashion our body just like his glorious body. I don't know that we'll have hair white as wool and our voice will sound like the voice of many waters, but whatever, he's the template of what he's going to make his people's bodies look like. Some of us, the only time you're ever going to get beautiful is when you die. He's going to finally straighten up that mug of yours. And if you were born with deformities, if you were born with different diseases, it's all going to be in the past. You can't believe for eternity you will be able to run up and down the streets of gold and you won't need any Advil. Never. It's over. You're going to be just like Christ in your glorified body. Get rid of all the pills, all the crutches, all the surgeries, all the pains. You're going to have a body like his. Well, right now, Christ is acting as our high priest. Uh, what is he doing? He's representing you before God as a believer. If you don't know Jesus, you have no one to represent you. You're on your own. You're on your own, and you can never win. In this court, you've got to have a lawyer. And if you don't accept the services of Christ, you're on your own. And that's a foolish place to be. Two, he says something that I'm going to wrap up with that he talks about. He's seen that he's walking in the midst of the lampstands, and he's holding seven stars which he calls the angels of the seven churches. Two things, the lampstand. We're not quite sure, but let's, it's probably a Jewish menorah, which would have the center, the number four place, being the center, and three branches on the side. And he said his churches will be lampstands, which means they hold the light. They aren't the light, but they hold it. You would set little oil containers 
and they were light with a wick in it. And he said, I see the churches, and they're in my hand. I'm going to walk in the midst of them. And there's seven of them that he's going to be dealing with. And they're to be light bearers. Uh, they're to be showing off the glory of Christ. They're to be showing light to a darkened world. And I've got seven of them. And where are you, Christ? The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And as you read through the narrative, he said, I'm in the midst of them. Why do I love God's church? Do you love God's church? I just heard a message by John MacArthur. He said, I love it, first of all, because he said the gates of hell would not prevail. It's the only thing Christ is building on the earth. He's not building your company. He never said, I'll build Google. I'll build IBM. He said, I will build myself a church, and not even the gates of Hades will prevail. Not even death will destroy my church. And death killed the cornerstone, the founder of the church, hoping to eliminate it. And three days later, he came back and said, Death, you cannot keep the church from being built. It will be built upon a living Christ. I love the church. It's the only thing on the earth God is building. Not your nation, not your business. And it's the thing the devil hates the most. And when you get out of fellowship with God, you'll get where you don't like it because God loves it. Two, it's precious to God. Christ said, I bought the church with my precious blood. You don't love what he purchased with his blood? I love God's people. They're blood-bought, purchased people. I love the church because it's the only place on earth where the will of God is to be carried out. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on the earth as it is being done in heaven. The will of God, the, the desirous will of God, isn't being done in Washington, D.C. We live down here in this fellowship. We discipline, we pray, we give. We preach, we teach. Why? We're trying to do the will of God on the earth in our community that he said, if you bind on earth and loose, it will have already been done in heaven. We're trying to do what God's already said he wants done. We're trying to do it on the earth. He said, I will walk in the midst of these lampstands and then I hold these seven angels in my right hand. And it's kind of interesting. There's two prominent views on what the angels are. One is they're spirit beings, and it's used that way the majority of times. I think angels are referred to about 35 times uh, in the book. The majority are spirit beings. And so many say this is angelic beings. I take it to be messengers of God. The word angel or angelos, the Old Testament word was malach. We have the book of Malachi. The book of Malachi, angel 
or messenger, but of course it was the name of a prophet. I take it to be human messengers because he's holding these messengers accountable for what's going on in those churches. And I don't think God's holding angels accountable for what's going on at Valley. I wish he would. I wish he would. I read Revelation 2 and 3 with fear and trepidation because I feel accountable for his criticisms and his counsel to correct. I feel the weight of these letters because it represents the church at any time. Which church are we in Asia Minor? We're one of the seven right now. We might be the one that lost its love. We might be the one tolerating Jezebel to seduce God's servant. We might be the one that's so lukewarm, God's spewing is out of his mouth. Which one are you? Which one are we? He says, I'm holding these messengers in my right hand, and I see in the scriptures it was primarily elders or those that were overseers of the church, because the word angelos can be used as simply messengers. It seems to me he would entrust it to human messengers more than spirit beings. But those are the two views. The glorified Christ. I'm curious. What have you done with Christ? Um... Has he lost his glory to you? Is he glorious or pitiful? Are you trying to help out God when you give an offering? In our young adult class on Thursday night, one of the young people said, if God needs nothing, why are we told to give? I thought it was a profound question. And after I took the kid's wallet, I tried to answer it. (laughs) You know. Why should we give? Let me say this, never give to help out a poor God. Never give to help out a poor God. It's your stingy heart that needs to learn to give. You need to conquer greed and idolatry and that lust for things. And God said, I want you to be a partner with me in doing something eternal. What do you think I feel like? sitting as a grandfather and seeing grandchildren here, seeing daughters I raised in this church, in this pagan Bay Area, and seeing the grace of God save, keep, and now another generation before me. Where would I rather have my money? How many trips can I take to Disneyland? And what do they do for me? I'd rather say the majority of my money when I grew up in this church, it was making $20,000 a year. I said, I will give to this church because I started learning to do that at 15, and I'll pay tuition for my girls because I don't want them to go to pagan schools that hate God. So I'll pay tuition, and I'll give, and my wife will go to work to help pay the tuition. And we'll drive junky cars. Don Andrews used to say, you never drive a nice car, do you? He said, you, you're always driving a piece of junk. I said, I can't afford a new one. I'd rather give it to tuition and to the church. And so you saints gave me five different cars in these 40 years. Any regret? You can drive the nice car if God's given you that means. Don't begrudge it. 
I'm just sort of regretting that you've got it and I don't. So don't feel bad. Not really. Where's the riches of our lives? And here, this glorified Christ, he's saying, it will not be a wimpy Jesus that comes again. It will not be an anemic Jesus. But it's going to be a glorious Christ. All the Hitlers of this world, all the Saddam Husseins of this world, all the ISIS of this world, all the Putins of this world will tremble and bow, and they will say, you are Lord of lords and King of kings. You are mighty. How dare we ever take you on? We're going to begin to look and see how he walks among his lampstand. And this, if you're a believer, you must hear because he's got your number. And he's going to point you out next week. And I want to do it for two weeks. If I had time, I'd do 14 sermons on the churches. But I'm going to just go one week in chapter 2 because we're going fast. The next week in chapter 3. Oh, God, hold up the messengers of this church. And Jesus, I'm glad you're in the midst of this church. Even if others don't show up, you're in the midst. You're in the midst. Our Father, guide us through this marvelous, marvelous, trembling revelation of yourself as mighty ruler coming, conquering, the Christ of Calvary has now become the Christ of glory and the Christ of consummation. May we look for his coming, perhaps today, Jesus. You said when you come, in verse 7, that the nations of the earth will wail, and they will wail not to become Christians. They will wail because they know their day of judgment has come, and they were not ready. Oh, Father, if there's anyone here not ready, May they today receive Christ. Put their faith in him while you will for them to live. I don't know what day I will die. I don't know what day anyone in this building will die. It's in the hands of Jesus. He's got the key to my death day as well as my birthday. He will determine how many more hours I have to live. May we not squander away the day of grace and gamble with our soul. And this night our soul be required of us and I say, I don't know you. I went to church, but I never wanted you. I went to church, but I never really trusted you. I, I'm nominal at best. I pray save. Work through the series. Convict and save. Have our people invite their friends to come about the unveiling of the future. Oh, how we ought to be inviting people before it's too late. We know the country's on fire. We know racial hate is heated up as much uh, in the Rodney King days. It seems to never go away. Hate, 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 hate. This country is in a mess if it wasn't for you, Christ, my heart would despair. You're my rightful ruler, but in the meantime, I live under fallible, sinful government. Help our government. Help this state that seems to vote in anything 
that is contrary to your word. Help us to be light. Help us to be witnesses until Jesus comes. Amen. God bless you.